Uh, if you're visiting uh, this morning, uh, we are going through the, um, what I refer to as the cleanest pages in our Bibles, the minor prophets. In other words, the last 12 books of the Old Testament. But I guess if I'm wrong, and these are not the cleanest pages in your Bible, then certainly probably the book we're going to look at this morning is probably the most of the thumbed pages. The book of Jonah is perhaps the most well-known of all the minor prophets. And we're going to look at uh, Jonah this morning. In fact, we've already been looking at him in our Bible readings. Jonah's um, a biblical, fast-paced page-turning story, uh, of a story of a runaway prophet who gets swallowed by a whale, um, the kind of story I guess that many of us have heard since our Sunday school days. In fact, I'm even wondering whether there might be some, um, how can I put this, some of the more mature members of our congregation might remember an old Sunday school chorus which goes something like this, and you can join in if you do know it. Come listen to my tale of Jonah and the whale, way down in the middle of the ocean. Some of you are doing the actions. How did he get there? Whatever did he wear? Way down in the middle of the ocean. Preaching he should be at Nineveh, you see. He disobeyed. Oh, what a foolish notion. But God forgave his sin. Salvation entered in. Way down in the middle of the ocean. Do some of you not know that? Some of these choruses, you just wonder how they go to fashion, don't you? But that simple children's chorus, it does actually tell you, doesn't it, the, the story. I mean, I can sit down now, or we could have the final song in benediction, if you like. Because in that little chorus, it gives you the full story, really, of the story of Jonah, the incredible story of this prophet who was swallowed by a whale. The problem is, of course, because of this, do you like the picture, by the way? Uh, because of this, John has been characterized, you know, as a children's story, as a kind of a children's hero, and a bit of a fictional <clears throat> kind of children's story, along with some of the other fictional stuff that children read. And because of this, perhaps Jonah, amongst all the minor prophets, is the most understood and maybe even underrated of all of the minor prophets. On top of that, not just children, but I need to tell you that even serious Bible students and theologians relegate Jonah to a fictional story. Oh, maybe it's just a parable. Maybe it's just a story with a, a, a hidden meaning. Well, I hope this morning, friends, I can present to you Jonah in a very different way. I want to actually present Jonah to you, first of all, as a credible book, and secondly, as a credible prophet. That I do actually believe that Jonah lived. Jonah was a real person, and that he actually was swallowed by, well, not a whale, but a big fish. But more than that, I want us to see this morning that this ancient text recording events in the latter part of the 8th century BC actually contains messages that can be helpful for us today who are trying to walk for Jesus. There are major themes in even this minor prophet that speak to our heart and can speak to our own walk with God. Actually, the book of Jonah presents the prophet Jonah as a real person who once lived. These are the opening words of the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. 
and we read earlier in the Old Testament the fact that Jonah, the son of Amittai, was the prophet from Gath-Ephah. Gath-Ephah. Gath-Ephah is not there today, but it was a, a small settlement laying just northeast of Nazareth. So Jonah is presented as a real person who lived, who uh, had a, a father, and who had a place of birth. And this reference in two kings that you just saw on the screen there uh, tells us actually that Jonah was already a well-known prophet even before he encountered the big fish. King Jeroboam II, we're reading scripture, was an evil king. But because Jonah was his prophet, and through Jonah's intervention, God prospered in Israel during this time. And Israel recaptured some of its lost territories and strengthened some of its borders with other nations just beyond Israel. So when Jonah actually went to Nineveh, Jonah's name would no doubt have been known by the Ninevites and other people who lived even outside of Israel. And so all this was in fulfillment of the prophecy or the word of the Lord that was given by Jonah. And we'll, we'll see when we come to his prophecy uh, to the pagan city of Nineveh that they rest, readily listened and obeyed Jonah, probably because he was already a credible, well-known prophet in his day. <clears throat> but returning to the book of Jonah, we read in the opening verses that God spoke to Jonah and commissioned him to go to the great city of Nineveh. But instead, as we know, that Jonah didn't actually go to Nineveh initially, but instead he headed completely in the opposite direction. He went to the Mediterranean port of Joppa and bought a ticket and boarded a ship heading for Tarshish. Now, I don't know if you know where Tarshish is. You try saying that. I don't know if you know where Tarshish is. You probably know where Gibraltar is. It happens to be back in the news uh, all of a sudden at the moment. But if you think about Gibraltar right on the south shore of uh, Spain there, just round the corner from Gibraltar on the Atlantic side is a modern-day city today called Cadiz, if you know where Cadiz is. Old Testament Tarshish is believed to be around the area of modern-day Cadiz. So here was Jonah in the east of the Mediterranean, as far as east of the Mediterranean you can get, catching a boat to go to the far west of the Mediterranean as you can get, uh, beyond the, the, the Straits of Gibraltar. In other words, in those days, it was going to the other side of the world in Jonah's day. So God said, I want you to go to, to Nineveh. And Jonah said, okay, God, I'll go. I went in completely the opposite direction and caught a boat and went off to the other side of the Mediterranean. What an obedient prophet Jonah was. And we're also given the important detailed information that as Jonah boarded the ship, he paid the fare. Don't you like the little detail that he actually paid to get on? He bought his ticket to get on to the boat. And I'm glad actually we have that detail. And incidentally, nowhere do we have the detail that Jonah ever got a refund, because he never did, of course, get to his destination. And I'm glad we have this detail because of this. You see, Jonah was a runaway prophet trying to escape from God and trying to escape from the commission that God had given him. And to put it bluntly, Jonah was disobeying God's instructions. And when you do that, there is always a price to pay. 
There's always a price to pay for disobedience. There's always a price to be paid for backsliding. It has been rightly said that there is no such thing as cheap grace, but neither is there such a thing as cheap disgrace. Every step of disobedience is a costly step downhill. I'd like to ask you this morning, where are you just now in your walk with God? Are you traveling in the right direction? Or are you swimming against the tide of God's will? Are you conscious of something that God is nudging you to be or to do, and yet you're disobeying even by being unresponsive to that call upon your life? If you're honest this morning, are you an obedient disciple of Jesus? And if you're not, how is that making you feel? When the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land, Moses said this to them, For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, and the Lord your God will bless you. To walk in disobedience is to receive the curse of God. To walk in obedience with God is to receive the blessings of God to receive his anointing and receiving his well done rather than paying the price of disobedience as indeed Jonah paid the price as we're about to find out. So back to Jonah, he set sail from that Mediterranean port called Joppa and off he went on his journey to Tarshish but very soon it appears in his journey there arose a, a violent storm But amazingly, Jonah went below deck and promptly went to sleep. Amazing, isn't it? In the midst of this storm, which sent uh, even the the, the staff and the the people on board that ship into a frenzy, Jonah went below deck and went to sleep. You know, going against the tide of God's will is an utterly exhausting experience. Jonah was not only below deck, But he was at a low point with God too. He was at a low point in his relationship with the Lord. He was not in a good place. And he was totally exhausted. And even slept through a violent storm. It exhausted him physically, mentally and spiritually. Jonah's journey so far was all downhill. Verse 3, by the way, tells us that Jonah went down to Joppa. You know, Jerusalem, where Jonah would have probably traveled from, is about 2,600 feet above sea level. Jonah traveled from 2,600 feet above sea level down to the Mediterranean port of Joppa. He was going downhill all the time. He got into the boat and went below deck. And as we're about to find out, Jonah was to sink even lower. Disobeying God, it's all downhill. It certainly was for Jonah. And in every way... He was at a very low point. I don't know what your testimony and experience is, but I'll tell you this. When, when you're at a low point, it's not a good place. You, you, you know what it's like when you're at that place. It's not a good place to be. But I don't know whether it's your testimony or not. It certainly is mine. That sometimes in that low moment, sometimes in that place where you just want the, the, the ground to swallow you up, in that moment is that moment when God can speak with you and can minister to you the best. The psalmist knew that. 
The psalmist knew actually that God's love was so deep that it could reach him no matter where he was. Let's look at these words from the psalmist. The psalmist writes, deep calls to deep. I used to wonder what that meant. What does that mean? Deep calls unto deep. I think what the psalmist was saying is, no matter how deep is my problem, no matter how deep are my circumstances, it can't be so deep that God can't be there. Deep calls unto deep. All your waves and breakers have swept over me, says the psalm. And you know, it's good to remember, too, when we're in those low moments, and I don't know whether for any of you here this morning, this is speaking to you just now, that in that low moment, God can can speak to you in that deep place. The psalmist also cries out elsewhere in the psalms, Where can I go? from your spirit. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Remember the Apostle Paul? He also testifies to the love of Christ, which is as wide and as long and as high and as deep. That's the depth of God's love. God is with us in those deep and lowly places. And I want to give you encouragement this morning that for any who might be in that deep place just now, open your eyes. God is there wanting to speak and minister to you just now. But back to Jonah. And as I mentioned, he was about to to sink even lower. He was thrown overboard and swallowed by a big fish. Yes, despite the children's chorus... About a whale, um, it doesn't say anything about a whale in, um, in the book of Jonah. It simply says it was a great fish. In fact, uh, it couldn't be a whale, could it? Because a whale isn't actually a fish. A whale is a mammal, not a fish. So it was even uh, wrong in that sense as well. But God found a fish that could follow and then swallow Jonah. And a fish that would eventually spew rather than chew, fortunately, for Jonah. And it would transport him back onto shore. And uh, this fish eventually regurgitated, that's a better word, isn't it? Regurgitated uh, Jonah back onto dry land again. But before that happened, Jonah had spent three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish. And it's an interesting major point in our minor prophet this morning. First of all, because here we are during the period of Lent, and it's good to be reminded of the the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus, as we have already heard early in our meeting, in his ministry, authenticated Jonah as a sign for his time too. Let me remind you what Jesus said. For as Jonah was in in the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah's salvation from the billowing waves pointed towards the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who would bring salvation, who would rescue us from the billowing waves of evil and sin. And that was provided for all mankind. It's also important for another reason. I did say, I hope I can convince you that Jonah was a real person, who was a real prophet, who really did live. If Jonah wasn't a real person, why would Jesus refer to a fictional person in a fictional uh, story? Would, he have, would Jesus have risked trivializing his redemptive act 
by associating it with a fictional tale. I want to suggest to you, no, he wouldn't. It was also whilst in the depths of the sea and whilst Jonah was at his lowest that Jonah turned to his Lord. And in fact, chapter 2, if you were to read chapter 2 of Jonah, it's actually just a prayer. It's nothing else. But it's Jonah pouring out his heart to God. Here he is in the belly of the fish at his lowest. And what can Jonah do? He can do nothing else but turn to the Lord. And look at these words. In my distress, testifies Jonah later, I called to the Lord and he answered. I hope you can testify to that. When you look back to those moments you've been at your lowest, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? And some of you have had difficult times. Some of you know what bereavement feels like. Some of you know what it's like to to lose your job. Some of you know what it's like to go through all sorts of difficulty. And you you, you know what what I'm talking about when I say in a very, very powerful way, you feel the strength of people's prayers. You feel the strength of support. It's in that moment that actually it awakens that relationship between you and your Lord. And in your distress, you call to the Lord, you seek the Lord, and he does indeed come to you in that moment. In this very simple statement, Jonah testifies to that same, uh, same experience. Jeremiah actually records the words of what the Lord wants to do. The, the God says, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And when we're in those situations, we can call upon our God. And in those depths of moments, we can find the unsearchable riches that are in Christ Jesus. We can find those unsearchable things we've yet to find out about God. And we've probably yet to discover about ourselves as well. It's in that moment, that moment of distress, where God can often be found. And it's in those depths of despair that the depths of God's love can be revealed. And this may be a message for you this morning, certainly is a message for me. That maybe in those moments of distress and despair, don't despair because God is there, as the male voices remind us humorously last weekend. We are in that place where God seems so remote and yet where God can be no closer. Those deep cries that we make from the depth of our soul are heard in the depth of God's love and he can come and minister to us and show us the unsearchable riches that are in Christ Jesus. Time is nearly gone, but can I give you please just one final major point from our minor prophet this morning, and that is this. That this is our God of the second chance. If there's there's no greater message in Jonah, it is this. That God will give us a second chance to put things right. Jonah gets back onto dry land, don't try to visualize it, but somehow the the big fish spews Jonah up onto the land, and as Jonah is drying himself off, God says to Jonah, oh, and by the way, Jonah, go to that city of Nineveh. And so Jonah, instead of setting off back to Joppa, 
and the Mediterranean, this time sets his face eastwards and goes to that great pagan city, the capital of Assyria, Nineveh, to fulfill the commission that God was given to Jonah, to be the prophet to the Ninevites. Chapter 3 opens with these words, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Isn't it great that God gave Jonah a second chance? Isn't it great that God didn't say to Jonah, well, forget it, I'm going to wash my hands of you. There's plenty of other prophets around I can find. But God went back to Jonah and said, Jonah, you've been in that deep place, and actually I can use you now. I can use you to go, because you're going to have a, a tough time speaking to these pagan people, and I want you to still be my prophet. Isn't it great that God is the God of the second chance when we let him down, when we fail him, when we mess up to know that God is still, still believes in us, still wants to do his will through us. So the God of the second chance recommissions Jonah to go to Nineveh in order to give the Ninevites the opportunity to repent. And when Jonah gets to Nineveh, his message is containing just eight English words. I say eight English words. If I was to read it to you in Hebrew, I'd only need five words. But the eight words, this is, it isn't a full sermon, eight words that Jonah gives to Nineveh. And this is it. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. End of sermon. Don't you wish you had sermons like that? <laughs> Please don't respond. But, but 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. End of story. That was it. That's all Jonah had to say to the Ninevites. What's amazing is they listened to Jonah's voice and they repented. Why is that? Why did they not respond and say, hey, you know, we're not going to be overthrown. We're going to fight. Why did they not immediately lynch him? It's not a great message, is it? You're going to be sorted, you lot, you Ninevites. God's going to come and he's going to overthrow you all. Why instead, did, from the king to the lowest servant, why did the whole city repent? Well, actually, it's a shame we don't know Hebrew. Because the Hebrew word for be overthrown, you only need one Hebrew word for be overthrown. The Hebrew word is this. It is hapak. And the Hebrew word hapak can mean overthrown, but it can also mean overturn. Or in other words, to turn around, or to convert, or to transform, or to turn over a new leaf. Actually, what Jonah was saying, not that God's going to overthrow them, in other words, he's going to overthrow them in a devastating way, but God is wanting them to overturn, to be turned over, to turn over, to be transformed, to be renewed, to be reformed. And I think we can understand the message of Jonah's prophecy to Nineveh so much more if we understand that actually he wants the people to repent because you know what was happening here? God was not only giving Jonah a second chance, but he was giving Nineveh a second chance. God hadn't come to say, because of your sin, that's the end of it. God is saying, because of your sin, I want you to have a new start. I want you to have a new page. And I want you to repent and turn, be overturned, turn back to me. That's where we get our word convert from, to transform. 
Jonah's message is not about a whale. It's not about a prophet being swallowed by a whale. God's message through Jonah is a message of God's love. And as you've heard so often throughout our meeting this morning, the message of Jonah is about the amazing grace of God. That God so loved Jonah, that God so loved Nineveh, and God so loves you and I, that he will go to any lengths. He will go to the depth of an ocean. He will even put his son on a cross. Because the amazing grace of God is so great that he wants you and I to repent and to return to him and to give ourselves back to him so that we might understand and reach down to the unsearchable riches that are in in Christ Jesus. As Jonah himself says in the fourth and final chapter, he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Paradoxically, it was Jonah who ended up depressed because of the glorious message of this book that our God is a God of graciousness and a God of compassion and a God of grace and a God of mercy, a God who is slow to anger, a God who abounds in love and who wants all his children to be transformed and to turn from sin and to turn to him. And that is our God today too, the God of the second chance, the God who is compassionate with us, the God who is gracious with us, the God who is slow to anger with us and that God is willing to come to the depth of our despair and to take our heart and to rescue it and to make us new once again. So dear friends, take heart from God's word. It's an ancient text, but it's a message brand new that comes to us today and for all our tomorrows. Take heart. God will rescue us too from the sin of our despair and set us too on our rightful course as we move forward with him.